as we get going, I have a question for you. Could you imagine if you were never afraid? No matter what came, came your way, you were completely unfazed. You were never nervous. You were never anxious. No matter what, in every situation, absolutely no fear. Can you imagine what your life would be like? Wouldn't that be amazing? No. It would not be amazing. You would die. <laughs> likely very quickly. And likely very painfully. A squirrel with no fear is called roadkill. <laughs> and a human with no fear is unlikely to fare much better in the long term, right? God has given us endorphins. God has given us flight or fight, res flight or fight responses. God has given us ways of responding to difficult situations when fear is necessary. If you have a bear charging at you and your response is meh, like that day is just not going to end well for you. I don't know what else to tell you. I remember eight years ago, I was in Montana for a family reunion and a bunch of us went whitewater rafting. So uh, we, we sign up, we have a guide, do the whole thing. We're whitewater rafting and there's maybe 10 of us in this raft, all family members, uh, including my wife, my youngest brother, some cousins and uncles and my 85 year old grandfather. Now, this was my last time in a whitewater raft, just to give you a sense of where this story is headed. But we're out there, we're having a good time, and if you've done it before, you know you have certain sections where there are rapids and it's more challenging, and then other sections where you just kind of rest and float and this and that. And we were coming up upon the last section of difficult rapids, and our guide had given us instructions and everything, and I'm sitting towards the front of the raft on the left-hand side, and we get into the rapids, and I'm, I'm, I'm paddling, doing my thing, and the raft dips down and, and I remember this in my mind's eye like it was yesterday. It dips down and then it comes back up which is very normal because that's how it goes when you're in rapids. What is less normal is that the raft didn't stop going up and it kept going up and all of a sudden I'm staring at the bottom of the raft and I know I am about to take a swim, right? And I panic in that moment. Something you got to know about me, like I don't like water. Like even in the best of circumstances. And freezing cold water in the middle of rapids, not my idea of a good time. So I'm freaking out. I'm, 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 I'm panicking, going, oh my gosh, we're going in the water, rapids, like this is really dangerous. Now, something you should know about me. Everything in my life is fast. Those of you that have listened to me preach before, you're like, well, we know you talk fast. We keep telling you to slow down and you just don't do it. I don't, it's beyond my pray for me. I walk fast, I move around fast, I've seen the research that says multitasking makes us dumber, and nevertheless, I'm constantly thinking about multiple things all at once. I love watching sports, but I never watch sports live unless I'm in the building because I, want to, I, I start an hour and a half late because I want to be able to watch it fast. Ain't nobody got time for all those commercials, right? I even, I listen to podcasts at 1.5 speed, and this came up once in a conversation with Pastor Heather, and upon learning this, she responded, Brian, you you live your life at 1.5 speed. And she's not wrong. And usually, like, it's not that I'm in a hurry. It's just there's a lot of life to live, and I want to live all of it. But something funny I've noticed about myself over the years is that in moments of fear or, 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 or difficult situations, that actually slows me way down. So in the, that moment all those years ago, which I, again, remember very vividly, I had a moment of panic oh my gosh, I'm in the water and the raft's upside down. And then everything slowed down. And I was able to collect myself, like my fear response was to slow down. I was able to collect myself. Okay, I'm pointed the right direction. Okay, I'm feeling around for the bottom. Okay, I'm pushing up. And okay, there's, there's nothing above me. Okay, good, I'm, I'm clear. I'm, I'm above the water. And then I got above the water and my next thought was, oh my gosh, where's grandpa? <laughs> right. And if you're thinking, wait a second, didn't you say your wife was on the raft and your first thought was grandpa? I'm like, Listen, I knew if I survived, she would be fine. But so that sped me up again because now I'm going, oh my gosh, where is he? Fortunately, some of my other relatives had, had found him and, and he was safe and it was all good. And well, uh, some of my relatives ended up underwater for longer than they would have preferred. Praise the Lord, we all were safe and there were no injuries. Now, side note, 
You know that sometimes when you go on a whitewater raft or things like this, they'll put a photographer at one of the spots to like take pictures of you and then they ask you to buy the pictures at the end? This happened at that spot. So we had frame by frame. You better believe we bought that thumb drive. I still to this day, if we ever meet in my office, I can show you, I have a picture from that day in my office and my feet are pointed this way. What's the point? In that moment, fear helped me. In that moment, fear helped my family get to safety. Fear has its good and right and legitimate place. An appropriate concern for various areas of our lives is a good thing. The fear that keeps you from driving 120 miles an hour in a snowstorm, we praise God for that fear, right? The fear for your health that keeps you from licking doorknobs, like, that's a really good fear. And if that's the only thing stopping, like, it's just weird. Just don't do it, okay? But you get my point, right? That's a good fear. But there is a kind of fear that locks us up, isn't there? There's a kind of fear that keeps us stuck. There's a kind of fear that hurts us. And what I believe is that God did not design us to live in a constant state of that kind of fear. To go back to my squirrel analogy, a fearless squirrel is roadkill, but a constantly fearful squirrel isn't going to do very well either. Having fear in a moment where I need to react is a good thing. If I'm in constant fear, that's going to mess me up. God did not make us to live in constant fear. Most of us would agree with that. But if that's the case, and I believe it is, we have to ask and answer this question. Why does fear so often move from appropriate concern to something that's totally immobilizing? Why, for so many of us, does fear so often move from something that actually helps us make good decisions to something that completely hijacks us and causes us to behave erratically and irrationally? Why does that happen? And then what do we do about it? So, so here's my operating assumption for this message. My assumption is that most of us are living in fear, including me. And we fear for all sorts of things. We fear maybe for our children or our families. We fear for our financial health. We fear for our physical health. We fear for different relationships in our lives. We fear for our quality of life or, or we fear death or we fear unhappiness and any number of things, right? And that fear... <laughs> for the most part, is not good for us. Physically, it's not good for us. It raises our blood pressure. It lowers our immune system. Emotionally, it's not good for us. It makes us defensive, and on and on I could go. And on some level, again, fear is a natural part of life. I'm not suggesting we should never fear anything. That's neither realistic nor appropriate. And we should have an appropriate level of concern for important areas of our lives, because again, that motivates good behavior. But fear has become so pervasive in our world today. And for so many of us, come on, if we just look in our own hearts and we look at the amount of fear that we carry, like, it's doing a lot more harm than good, isn't it? So as we wrap up 2022, the year of discovery, and don't miss next week, by the way, Pastor Lance will be here to kick off our year of 2023 and give us the annual theme. It's, it's going to be fantastic. I have one final message, and I've entitled this message, Discovering Fear That Actually Helps. God's invitation to the fearful, the anxious, and the insecure. And I want to talk a little bit about why we're afraid. I don't want to talk about some of the ways we have of dealing with our fear that, frankly, just aren't working. I want to talk about some of the unhealthy ways I think we talk about fear in Christian spaces. And ultimately, I want to, I want to see what does God have to say on this subject, and, and what does he have to say that can actually help us get a handle on that fear that is immobilizing us and causing all sorts of problems. I'm not gonna teach through a passage like we normally do at Bridgeway. This is gonna be a little bit of a different message than we tend to have. Instead, I'm gonna jump around to all different types of places in scripture just to get kind of God's heart on this from a, a bigger picture. Um, but if you're following along on the bulletin or on the app, or I'd invite you to take notes if that's useful to you, but here, here's your fill in the blank. Here's your fill in the blank. Fear is to be replaced not removed. Fear is to be replaced, not removed. The subtitle of this message, Fearful, the Anxious, and the Insecure, I mean, that describes 
Most of us, doesn't it? Most of us are at least one of those three and many of us have collected the whole set, right? (laughs) Uversion, the makers of the Bible app on your phone just released their most highlighted verse of 2022 and it was Isaiah 41.10. Do not fear for I am with you. Do not be dismayed for I am your God. I will strengthen you and help you. I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. That's a beautiful verse. It kind of says something that that was the most highlighted verse though, doesn't it? We're fearful, we're afraid, and we're looking for help. And as I'm talking about fear and anxiety and what we do about it, I need you to understand, I'm talking to you from a perspective of somebody who has dealt with these things my entire life. I am, I don't know if any of you are like me in this, I am a natural worrier. I'm always thinking about worst case scenarios, right? Uh, I like to have a good time, but I'm very concerned, and I'm not joking about this, that everyone is wearing their seatbelt. I love to hike, but I don't even leave the parking lot without my GPS app uh, tracking exactly where I am so that I don't get lost, right? I've always been somebody who struggles with fear. And just this last year, I got an anxiety diagnosis. So I am not unfamiliar with these types of struggles. I've spent my whole life dealing with them. And yet I look to scripture and I see in Luke chapter 12, this is the one verse I referenced on the bulletin. In Luke chapter 12, Jesus is speaking to his disciples as they're nervous and worried about food and about clothing and about all sorts of kind of concerns of life. And Jesus says to them, he says in, in, in Luke 12, 32, fear not, little flock, for it is your father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. So we're gonna talk about what does that statement mean for people like us who struggle with fear and struggle to know what to do with it. There's certainly plenty of aspects. We'll talk about why we're afraid. There's plenty of aspects of life in the 21st century that sort of contribute to us being afraid, aren't there? I'll I'll just give you one. I mean, I love technology and I love that we're able to be connected to one another and connected to people all over the world and learn from different kind of news sources and things like that. Like, I love that sort of thing. But that comes with a cost, doesn't it? We are aware of everything. (laughs) Every crime, every instance of corruption, Every disaster, every bad thing, every disease, every bad thing that happens in the world is screaming at us from our smartphones. And that is a very new phenomenon in human history. We have to remember, for the vast majority of human history, most people on planet Earth were completely ignorant of everything going on with pretty much everybody. So to give sort of a silly example, I don't know that a war is a silly example, but whatever. From 1337 until, uh, until 1453, France and England were at war with each other. They called it the Hundred Years' War. It lasted for 116 years. There were a few truces mixed in there, but it was a hundred years of war. It lasted through the reigns of five monarchs from each country, a full century plus. And here's what I wonder. Did anybody who was living in Australia at the time, what is now Australia, even know it was going on? Did anybody who was living in, say, what is now Japan at the time, even know it was going on? I mean, it's possible that word reached different places. But most people, I'm going to guess, had no idea this hundred-year war was even happening. And if they did, they weren't getting, like, update videos on TikTok about it. Right, like no one in like what is now Algeria is like refreshing their Twitter feed to get the latest news. And yet someone robs a 7-Eleven in New Jersey and it's like a news alert for us, right? We hear about everything. We're aware of everything. And it's just funny. I mean, there's just so much more that we can be worried about. And it's just funny to me, whenever I hear people say something along the lines of like, oh my gosh, everything is getting worse. Everything is just so bad in the world today. Everything's getting worse and worse and worse. It's terrible. Um, I just, I, I say, okay, first of all, my reaction to that is a few things. Uh, number one, uh, people have been saying that for a really long time. Like we literally have quotes from Aristotle complaining about like kids these days and it's not like the good old days, right? Uh, second, When else would you want to live? Like, I don't know about you. Like, I am a huge fan of things like indoor plumbing, Wi-Fi, civil rights. Like, I'm really into all of those things, right? Like, that's that's pretty great. And third, 
Yes, I mean, our world is broken is by sin. We know this as, as Christians. And yet, by many objective standards, life on this planet has never been better. But it doesn't feel that way because we're so much more aware of the bad stuff than our ancestors were. Isn't that right? And that creates fear. We have access to limitless information. And that means if you want to be angry or afraid, you can dial that up with a couple of taps on your phone. And fear, of course, is something that can be easily exploited. That's part of why it's all over the place. I mean, political parties gain loyalty today for the most part, not by laying out a compelling vision of what the world could be with their ideas, but by what? Making us afraid of the other, right? Commercial companies make us afraid, so we'll buy their products. MSNBC, Fox News, scores of other media companies and personalities have literally built empires by making people afraid and exploiting that fear. And it's not just the media. I mean, there are far too many stories I've heard of church leaders using fear to manipulate and control people. It's not right. And I'll say it again. God did not design us to live in that sort of constant state of fear. And we need to ask them the question, okay, we're already afraid, so what are we going to do with it? Because another big problem is not only are there lots of reasons to be afraid, but we have some ways of dealing with it that really aren't helpful. Like some of you, like, I don't know how many of you are like me, that my natural warriors in the room, that we find ourselves getting afraid and we just obsess over it. Right, we just, can't, like our minds just go round and round and round, we get spinning on these things. And like, we know it's bad for us, like, nobody's going, you know what my goal is for today is just to spend the day worried about fears that may or may not come true. That seems like a very productive use of my time. Like, we know it's bad for us, but we can't help it. We do it anyway. Or some of us, we even shame ourselves. Right? Oh, I shouldn't be afraid. I shouldn't, I shouldn't be this. Oh, I shouldn't worry. I shouldn't this and that and the other. Listen, listen, listen. Very, very, very few people should their way to healthy behaviors. Oh, I should, I should, I should. It's not gonna work. It's not gonna work, right? Some of us, we deal with our fear by searching for a tribe. What do I mean by that? There's something in us that feels better, at least for a little while, if we can create an us versus them mentality. So we gather into groups of people who think like us or look like us or believe like us. Maybe they're in the real world. Maybe they're online. And we tell ourselves that we are the good people and the bad people are out there. I mean, why is it that people all over the country will gather at, say, political rallies or God help us, even in some churches, to listen to somebody rail against the evils of people who are not in the room? It does not help. It does not lead to personal growth or transformation. But it makes us feel good for a second. Gives us someone to blame. Gives us something to do with our fear. I can say, yes, I'm afraid, and it's their fault. That feels good for a moment. Or, or this is something I've seen so much in the last couple of years, and I'm going to try to keep myself under control here because I have some feelings about this one. One of the ways we deal with our fear is we shame other people whose fear is different than ours. We shame other people whose fear is different than ours. We can even get real spiritual about it. Come on, man, you're, you're living in fear. What's the matter with you? Faith over fear. Don't you know the Bible says do not fear? Come on. We shame other people. And anytime I hear somebody say that, and I've heard some version of that, I don't know, a hundred times or more over the last couple of years. Anytime I hear someone say, like, oh, hey, faith over fear. Hey, we're, we're not supposed to be afraid. I just want to ask, I just want to ask, and you know, this, I've, I've got a bit of snark in me, so, you know, God help me. I just want to ask, um, okay, yeah, cool, yeah, faith over fear. Um, do you have locks on your doors? Oh, you do? Why? Oh, wait, I thought we had said faith over fear. Why? Right? See, we shame the fears of others because it keeps us from having to deal with our own. And see, healthy people with a secure sense of identity don't need to shame other people, but we're so insecure and anxious and fearful that we shame others. So we shame others, what? For their mask wearing, for their slow driving, for their gun owning, for their concerns about climate change, 
for their concerns about the government. Whatever concerns we don't have, we shame other people and say, hey, come on, you're just living in fear. You're just living in fear. And that keeps us from facing our own fears. And by the way, we do the same thing with sin in general, right? We are really good at shaming people who struggle with sins we do not struggle with. Why do we do it? It keeps us from having to deal with our own stuff. And the real problem with just giving somebody who's in fear a bumper sticker slogan, hey, come on, man, Bible says do not fear, is that it's just, it doesn't work. It doesn't help. That's like a more spiritual way of just telling an angry person to calm down. When has that ever worked? <laughs> Never. Never. See, too often, we can misuse the Bible and make it sound like the Christian solution to fear is to just remove it. Oh, you're afraid? Just stop being afraid. Oh, thank you. I had not considered that. Right? Oh, my gosh. Oh, you're anxious. Well, don't you know the Bible says, don't be anxious. Oh, you're fearful. Don't you know the Bible says, do not fear. Or if we really want to lay it on thick, we say, hey, don't you know, uh, God does not give us a spirit of fear, so you need to stop being afraid. All of that's in the Bible, by the way. Now, it is absolutely true that throughout the Old Testament, God tells Israel, do not fear. It is absolutely true that in the New Testament, we have Jesus, we have Paul, we have other figures in the New Testament saying the same thing, do not fear. But listen, this is not, that is not a command meant to shame a fearful person. Those are commands meant for our comfort. See, God's word to us in our fear is not shame and stop it. It's the promise of loving presence. It's the promise of loving presence. Imagine it this way. Suppose when my boys were younger, if one of them came into my room in the middle of the night, woke me up, said, Daddy, I heard a noise, and I'm, it, it, it's freaking me out. I, I can tell they're obviously, see, I heard, I heard a noise. What's, I, don't, I don't know what's going on. And they're scared. Maybe you've had this experience as a parent. Now, there are two ways I could respond to that. Number one, I could get up. I could walk back into his room. I could turn the lights on. I could open the closet. I could look under the bed. Look, hey, there's nothing here. There is nothing in here. All your normal stuff, no monsters, no nothing. And hey, look, walls, really solid. Ceiling, really solid. Floors, like if there's a noise outside, it ain't getting in. You're fine. Don't be afraid. Go to sleep. Parenting book forthcoming. <laughs> or I can get up and I can say, oh, buddy, I'm sorry that that happened. And I could walk with him back to his room and I could lay down next to him and cuddle with him and say, buddy, I'm sorry that you're afraid. I'm with you now, and I want you to know that you're safe. Too often, because we're so fearful and insecure ourselves, when we meet other fearful people, we go with option one. Come on, what are you doing? God always goes with option two. God always goes with option two. In my little made-up story, my son would know he does not need to be afraid, not because I've just told him, don't be afraid, but because he knows his earthly father is with him, and he knows he is safe with me and I'm just a human. Our heavenly father, how much more? He wants us to know in our fear that we are safe with him. So the Bible says do not fear, but it comes with the promise of loving presence. Consider some of these examples from scripture I cited a moment ago. Yes, the Bible says do not be anxious, but listen to what it, listen to the context. Philippians chapter four, verses six and seven. Be anxious for nothing or do not be anxious about anything. But in everything, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your request to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. What's the verse saying? It's not saying never have an anxious thought or like you need to be, feel guilty if you ever have an anxious thought. What it's saying is there is an alternative to simply dwelling on your anxious thoughts. That you do not need to just get spun up all in your head whenever you get anxious. That actually what you can do is you can pray. You can talk to God about it. You can share those things with him. And I imagine what if instead of even shaming ourselves for our anxiety, we viewed our anxiety as an invitation from God to connect. I'm feeling anxious. Oh my gosh, there's these things going on. That's right, God, you said I can come to you in these moments. And as we pray, and as we pray, and as we pray, and as we do it again, and again, and again, the Bible says cast all of your anxieties upon him, not just once, 
All of your anxiety is upon him. Why? Because he cares for you. So the promise is peace. So God says the alternative to dwelling on your anxious thoughts is loving presence. Or, or let's look at a couple of others that I've already cited. Isaiah 41.10, and there are so many other verses like this. Do not fear. Why? For I am with you. Do not be afraid, for I am your God. I will strengthen you. I will help you. I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. What if we viewed our fear as an opportunity to remember that God is with us? That when I get wrapped up in my head and I'm so afraid, I can know that God is with me. Or the words of Jesus from Luke chapter 12, fear not little flock, for it is your father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. What if we can remember? We might not be powerful. Jesus is calling us his little, he's calling his disciples and, and by proxy us, his, his little flock. We might not be powerful and certainly there's plenty of uncertainty around us, but we can know we are precious to him and it is his good pleasure to give us the kingdom. We are invited into relationship with him. What if any one of us, when we don't get our way or when we don't like the person in charge, whether it's the president of the parent-teacher club at your kid's school, or the president of the United States, or anything in between? What if instead of freaking out, like we're so prone to do, what if we just took that as an opportunity to remember, you know what, we might be a little flock, we might not be all that powerful in the eyes of the world, I, I might be small, but our heavenly father is looking out for us, and he offers us a certain and sure inheritance. And then there's 2 Timothy chapter 1, Verse seven, I have this verse engraved on the coffee table in my office. God, for God gave us a spirit, not of fear, but of power and love and self-control. In context, Paul is telling Timothy, listen, when the storms of life and leadership come, and <laughs> believe me, they're coming, remember who you are. Remember who God made you to be and don't swerve from that. What if we remember that in our fear when things don't go our way? when our dreams go unfulfilled, when we face disappointment. I'm not saying those things aren't grievous. I'm not saying they don't cause pain, but I'm saying what if they reminded they were an opportunity for us to remember, you know, who, who am I? And that's what is most important. See, these verses give us a place to focus the energy that we put into unhealthy fear. And my point is, again, that none of these verses are telling us to simply remove our fear. And none of these verses are telling us that we ought not live with prudence and caution or that we ought not give careful attention to the areas of our lives that matter most. We absolutely should. But they remind us of God's loving, ever-present care. So if obsessing over our fears, if forming tribes because of our fears, if shaming others and shaming ourselves or just trying to remove it are not healthy ways of dealing with our fear, what do we do? I've started to allude to it in the last couple of minutes. Here's the truth. We are creations of a holy and powerful and infinite God. He is before all things and in him all things hold together. The Bible says in 1 Timothy that he dwells in unapproachable light. In Isaiah 44, God says, I am the first and the last. Beside me, there is no God. He is transcendent. He is magnificent. Hebrews 12, 29 says that he is a consuming fire. Listen, God is not our life coach. He is not our spiritual advisor. He is not the supporting actor in the life story where we are the stars. Uh, yes, we get to call him friend, but he's not simply our buddy. He is a perfectly righteous judge. He is perfectly loving. He is entirely without fault. His knowledge is matchless. His power is limitless. No matter how great or smart or rich or powerful or educated we all are as sophisticated 21st century Western people, there is a God in heaven who is above us and who is greater than us in every conceivable way. And to believe that, don't miss this, to believe that that is true is to accept reality. And this is the beautiful thing about reality, is it remains real, regardless of our opinions of it. 
And we are made in God's image. And you're like, what does this have to do with fear? I'll get there, don't you worry. We're made in God's image. And that means we have a longing for things like a sense of identity, for, for meaning, and for justice. When those longings are threatened, it's going to provoke something in us. And he has placed eternity in our hearts, the Bible says. So I think it's natural there's going to be some fear, or at least some questions, about death, right? And we long for salvation, right? And God has given us an identity as his children, God has infused our lives with meaning and purpose that comes from him. And God is the one who knows perfect justice. God is the one who conquered death and offers us salvation by faith. And he has invited us to glorify him and enjoy him forever. This is the purpose of our existence. We are creatures who are made to worship. That is in our design. And that worship is rightly expressed toward our holy and magnificent God. He is our king. We are his children. We are made to worship him while living under his authority. Again, to accept this is to accept reality. And the phrase that the Bible uses to describe living in this way where we acknowledge that God is ultimate, that he is in charge, and we are his children. The phrase that the Bible uses is the fear of God. The fear of God. And this fear is not abject terror. It's not the same emotion that you would feel when that bear is charging toward you or when you're in the presence of somebody who wishes you harm. The fear of God is about having awe and reverence and, and, and worship and an acknowledgement that he is so much bigger than we are. I, I think about it this way. This last summer, 2021, my son and I uh, visited Niagara Falls. I'd never seen it in person. And to see that waterfall is magnificent. It is absolutely awe-inspiring. It is just so vast and powerful and holy cow, there's a lot of water, right? You could say that seeing the falls provoked a fear of Niagara Falls in me. And I don't mean like I'm like huddled in the corner, like, oh my gosh, the waterfall's coming to get me. Like, no, that's not what I mean. It means I was in awe of its power and its beauty and its magnitude, and I sure as heck was not going to go swimming in the water above it, right? To fear God is to know that he is ultimate, and we are not. To fear God is to know that, that he is perfect, and, and we are not. To fear God is to recognize that we cannot come before him as sinful people on our own merits, and to recognize our need for a savior, a savior he lovingly and willingly offers us in Jesus Christ. And to fear God is to marvel at the wonder of his mercy and his grace that he would forgive us and welcome us into his family. Side note, I think it is so important for us to have a really clear understanding of our own sinfulness. And I don't mean in general, I mean specifically. Why? So we can feel very guilty all the time. No, not at all. We need to have an appropriate view of our own sinfulness so that we can appreciate God's mercy and his grace and forgiveness for the wonder that it is. That is the fear of God, right? I read a terrific book this month. It's probably my favorite book I read this year called Recovering Our Sanity, How the Fear of God Conquers the Fears That Divide Us by a theologian named Michael Horton and his influence is throughout this message. And he said that the fear of God is about two things primarily. It's about reverence for his name, in other words, recognizing his holiness, and then an understanding that we are covenant servants, not autonomous masters. In other words, God is in charge, we are not, as much as we might try to flip that. No, God is in charge, we are not. Proverbs chapter 1, verse 7 tells us that the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge but fools despise wisdom and instruction. Proverbs goes on to say in chapter nine, verse 10, that the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom and that knowledge of the Holy One is insight. I know fear is a negative thing pretty much everywhere else in the world and rightfully so. I need you to understand the invitation to fear God is a beautiful and good and wonderful 
invitation. I mean, just look at some of what scripture says toward those who fear him. Psalm 85, verse nine, surely his salvation is near to those who fear him, that glory may dwell in our land. Psalm 103, verse 11, for as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is his steadfast love toward those who fear him. Two verses later, as a father shows compassion to his children, so the Lord shows compassion to those who fear him. Psalm 130, verses three and four, if you, O Lord, should mark iniquities, O Lord, who could stand? In other words, if you're gonna keep score, of all of our faults, God, none of us could stand before you in your holiness because we are sinful people. But it goes on to say, but with you, there is forgiveness that you may be feared. The wonder of his forgiveness leads to awe and reverence and worship. Throughout the Old Testament, one of the worst things that could be said about a person or a king or even a country was that they did not fear God. In other words, they didn't take God seriously. Luke chapter one in the New Testament, Mary, mother of Jesus, says, and his mercy is for those who fear him from generation to generation. You and I, we were made to fear God. He is ultimate, he's above all things, he he is our king. But here's the problem. The story of human history, since the fall in Genesis chapter three, is a story of us rebelling against God's authority. Isn't that true? We were made to make him ultimate, but instead we pursue the glorification of ourselves or we pursue the glorification of the things in this world when in fact we were made to glorify God and to enjoy him forever. We have become obsessed with our own comfort and our own happiness. And comfort and happiness are not bad things, but when they are ultimate things, living like they are ultimate things is like binging on Skittles and expecting to be healthy. It's gonna feel good for a moment. Whoo, a crash is a coming, right? We're made to make God ultimate, but instead we've made ourselves ultimate. And when we've made ourselves and the things of this world ultimate and we have diminished the place of God in our lives, when we care more about our own glory than we care about God's glory, that is an absolute recipe for fear and anxiety. Why? Because when that is our mindset, We act like God exists for our own happiness. Instead, when the truth is, we exist for his glory. And when our happiness, when our comfort, when our preferences, when anything in this world is what is ultimately most important to us, fear rushes in because the things of this world are fickle and we cannot, don't miss this, we cannot be secure when that which matters most to us is insecure. We cannot be secure when what matters most to us is insecure. My point is, is that when God is not our highest authority, life does not work the way it was designed to because what are we doing? We are pushing against reality. So so I'm here and and I'm I'm asking you, just like I ask myself, to to make fearing God your, your highest priority, not because it's the good and right and religious thing to do, though you could certainly make an argument, it is the good thing to do. I'm asking you to do it just like I ask myself to do it because it's how we were made. And, it's when, and again, when we resist that, we are pushing against the grain of reality and pushing against God's design. Here's the bottom line. When fear of God decreases, our fear of everything else increases. But we can drive out unhealthy fear about the future, about our circumstances, about society with the fear of God. Just to make sure I'm being as clear on this as I can, we switch from appropriate concern to immobilizing fear when we make something else ultimate. I was talking to a counselor several months ago and he was leading me through a kind of therapy called cognitive behavioral therapy, which is kind of dealing with your thoughts. And in the course of our conversation one day, I was telling him about different fearful thoughts that cross my mind. And these, are, these fearful thoughts are basically disaster scenarios about areas of my life that are very important to me. And I said to him, I said, and I know all of these thoughts are irrational. And what I meant by that was like, as I look at the evidence of how things are going in my life, there is nothing to suggest that any of these things are going to happen. And yet, I'm locked up in fear about them. 
And you want to know what this guy said? He said, no, Brian, actually, those are all very rational. <laughs> Literally, exact words. Here's what he said. All of those things you described absolutely could happen. Not helpful. Whole reason we're here is my fear and anxiety. What are you doing? But then what he said next, man, I'll never forget it. He said, Brian, what would happen if all of those things you're afraid of, like they happened, every single one? And I thought about that for a second. And I thought, I said, that would be extraordinarily painful. Like that would be really, really hard. But I don't know, I'd keep going. I'd figure it out. I'd keep, I'd keep moving forward. I'd live my life. And he said, exactly. And I thought about that some more. And I thought about how if all of my worst fears came true, that God would still be God and that my identity before him would be secure and that I could have perfect confidence that his plans for my life and more importantly, his plans for all creation, of which I am a very small part, would continue unencumbered. God would still be God. That does not mean these areas of my life and yours are unimportant. There are so many aspects of our lives that are of great importance. But when God is ultimate, it saves us from unnecessary fear. It saves us from torturing ourselves with the fear that our lives would lack any meaning whatsoever if things went sideways in our work, in our relationships, or even with our health. See, on that day, a counselor helped me recognize that so much of my unnecessary fear and anxiety stemmed from the fact that even though I know intellectually that God is ultimate, even though I know everything I'm teaching you today, like I know that this is true. Functionally, on a heart level, I was living like it wasn't. And I was living like these other areas of my life, which are very important, were absolutely ultimate things. And I was so anxious and so fearful, and it was creating all sorts of problems for me. Once again, we go from appropriate concern to immobilizing fear when we make something else ultimate. That is simply not what we were designed to do. Now, I want to apply that line of thinking to a few common fears. Why, for example, are people willing, even Christians, sometimes especially Christians, willing to say, the most despicable things to other human beings who do not share their politics. Why are so many people, this just makes no sense to me. You can, someone can explain it to me, maybe. Why are so many people willing to look the other way or even defend grossly immoral actions of political figures because they're on your side? Why? Because for many in the Western world, God is our hobby. God is our mascot, but our politics are our religion. They're our false religion, but they're our religion. And our greatest fear is of the other side gaining power. And listen, this is why having a greatest fear that is in the world can be so problematic. We will make excuses for anything if it helps us avoid our greatest fear, won't we? But it makes me think about the words of Jesus. What does it profit a man to gain the whole world but lose or forfeit his soul? And partisan politics are absolutely 100% not my thing at all. But for those of you who it is your thing, and that's you, that's fine. I just want to ask the question. Suppose your side won every election, but you lost your witness for Christ. Would it be worth it? Perhaps more importantly, would you have peace in your heart? Would the fear go away? I don't think so. Or suppose... Your side lost every election. Would that be bad? Sure. Would there be negative consequences? Perhaps serious consequences? Yeah, probably. We'd probably agree that maybe that's a bad thing. But if you lost every election, would God still be God? Why will some people in power do absolutely anything to keep it? Because life without power has become unimaginable and power and position have become an ultimate thing. I don't know what power you have in your life, but imagine you lost it. Would the Holy Spirit no longer live inside you? 
Why are some of us, why do we obsess over money, even though we have plenty? And I, confession, I catch myself doing this all the time. Why do we obsess over it even though we have enough? Because we've made it a symbol of our identity and our livelihood. If you had all the money in the world, would you have peace? And if you lost all of your earthly possessions, would you no longer be God's child? Why do we resort to hyper control over our children? And I'm very pro active parenting. Don't hear me saying we shouldn't be actively parenting our kids. But why do we resort to hyper control? Because we believe if we don't, things will not turn out just right for them. And and that's our greatest fear, that our kids would not turn out just right. Um, If your kids don't turn out just right, will Jesus not have died for you? Why do we hate each other so much? Why are we so quick to view people who are different than us as threats? Why are we so resistant to being curious, to perhaps sacrificing our preferences to make room for others who are different than us? Because we're afraid that people who are not like us will infringe upon our freedoms, they'll interfere with our happiness, they'll generally make life difficult for us. Let me ask you, if you lost all of your earthly freedoms, would God not still be on his throne? Hear me on this. I am not saying your fears about those things are irrational, and I have concern about many of those issues myself. I am not saying they're irrational, and I'm not saying they are unimportant. What I am saying is is that if we make them ultimate, that that means God is not. And that leads us to all sorts of dark places. And when we find ourselves acting in fear of the world, that, that takes us to a place where we are no longer acting in confidence in the goodness and sufficiency of God. And I believe God loves us enough that he does not want us to live lives stuck with that kind of fear. And instead, he invites us to replace this crippling fear of the world with the good and gracious fear of God. He wants you and I to know that it is his good pleasure to give us the kingdom. We might not have power, We might not have as much money as other people. I don't know, maybe we will, maybe we won't. We might not have the same earthly comforts as others. But we can live our lives knowing we serve a God who has given us the kingdom. We serve a God who who has promised us a sure inheritance and that is enough. So we do not need to treat these other things in the world as ultimate things. We can approach all of these areas of our lives from a place of fearing the Lord most and with a heart to serve him that starts to turn down the volume of unhelpful fear. I've experienced that myself. Now, I understand that fear is complicated. And I understand getting our fears under control is a process. I had that, and I don't use this word lightly, like truly a breakthrough in that therapy session all those months ago, and it has made a real difference. And yet, in most, if not all, of my therapy sessions these days, we're still talking about my fear and anxiety. So I'm very much a work in progress. I'm very much a work in progress. And I just want to encourage you, if you're here today, and and fear has an unhealthy grip on you, I just want to encourage, like, talk to somebody about it. See a therapist. Talk to somebody trusted who can help you, like, help you process these things. You don't need to suffer through them alone. What we're talking about today are foundational issues. Moving from building our lives on making something else ultimate, which it could be a very good thing, but, but it's a worldly thing in the end, and moving from making something else ultimate to making God ultimate and having that be our foundation, but you can get the proper foundation laid. It still takes a minute to build the house, doesn't it? And it takes a minute to build a life. It's a process. I love the words from Hebrews chapter 12, verse 28 and 29. I'm going to read them and, and then we'll be done. Let us be grateful for receiving a kingdom that cannot Be shaken. Every kingdom of this world will one day be dust. We were receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken. And because that is true, thus let us offer to God acceptable worship with reverence and with awe because our God is a consuming fire. So as we say goodbye to 2022 and we jump into 2023, may we be a church that fears God. May we be men and women who replace the immobilizing fear 
of the world with the life-giving fear of God. May we know in the core of our being that in Christ we are given a kingdom that cannot be shaken. May, may we know in the core of our being that we can marvel at the holiness of our God and the mercy that he has shown us in Jesus Christ. May we live with the peace that comes from remembering that it is our Father's good pleasure to give us the kingdom. And may the knowledge of God's holiness and greatness and infinite and our position as his beloved children free us from the unhealthy fear of the world. Amen? Amen. I want to invite the prayer team to come on up. If you're here today and you need prayer about anything at all, they're here hoping to get the chance to pray for you. And especially if you're here dealing with fear, come on, we want to pray for you. Let us, let us pray for you. We'd, it'd be our joy to be able to do it. But let me just pray a blessing over all of you and we'll be dismissed. God, we thank you that you are infinite, that you are holy, that you are above and before all things. God, and we confess, just as sinful, flawed people, that it is so often just our way of doing things is to exalt ourselves, to act like we're the stars of the show and you're the supporting actor or you're the person we go to simply for advice, when the fact of the matter is we're all part of your show, God that you're in the center, that you are above all things, that you are ultimate. We thank you, God, that you have made us to worship you. You have made us to view you as the one who is most important. So I pray, God, that you would meet us in our fear, that you would meet us in our anxiety, and that you would help us to grow as individuals and as a church in the fear of God, because that is the beginning of knowledge. That is the beginning of wisdom. And you have mercy and you have compassion and you have grace and you have love for those who fear you. And God, I pray just for all of my friends here today and you who are struggling with fear and anxiety. I know that is most of them. God, we just, we pray against any sort of shame, schemes of the enemy that would keep us locked in shame. God, may that voice be silenced by the voice of your truth that comes up next to us, holds us, comforts us, doesn't shame us, says, do not fear for I am with you. Thank you, God, that you are with us. We love you. May this be a year where we fear you, where we glorify you, and where with joyful obedience, we can walk with you closely. We love you. We pray these things in Jesus' name. And all the God's people said, amen. amen.